1: So subscribe today
0: at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL.
1: This is Access Atlanta. Every week, we share some of the best places to eat, play, and live out loud in the ATL. And of course, we go behind the scenes and find the stories that show Atlanta is one of a kind. Stephen Schwartz is a Broadway legend responsible for shows such as Wicked, Godspell, and Pippin. Schwartz was in Atlanta recently to check out the Alliance Theater's production of his 1978 musical, Working. In a wide ranging chat with the AJC's Bo Emerson, Schwartz spoke about the return of live theater after the COVID 19 hiatus, the movie version of Wicked, the musical that reinvents itself, and that elusive Tony Award. And Bo is here to introduce their conversation. Welcome, Bo. Thank you, Shane. So this is pretty cool to be able to uh, talk to uh, a legend like Steven Schwartz.
2: I gotta tell you, I was uh, I was somewhat uh, starstruck and tongue-tied, and I wouldn't say uh, I was brilliant on camera or anything like that. <laughs> but that was uh, a natural result of uh, of just uh, hanging out with this guy, who is such a easygoing uh, person.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's. Just pretty cool that he's still working after so long. I mean, I I remember from my childhood Pippin, you know, and it's it's amazing to think that he has been making these great musicals for so many years.
2: For 50 years. But the thing is, he started when he was... 20 or you know even uh uh and the Pippin even had origins in his in his college years so he's he's 73 but he he looks great and uh he is uh one of the reasons that it seems that he you think he's going to be an ancient person is because he started when he was so young right yeah and, and uh, uh and so uh, as as did you I I remember Pippin and Godspell from my childhood so, right uh, um but he's uh he, the the origin of my conversation with him was great because I was writing about the the Alliance Theaters thing and I said you think Stephen Schwartz would talk to me and they said yeah I I think he might and then I, I the phone rings one day and I just pick it up and it says hello this is Stephen Schwartz <laughs> and it was like oh okay well that happens all the time <laughs> um, but uh, it was a great conversation I, I really enjoyed uh, talking to him I learned a lot about about him in the course of this and it's really surprised to me that, despite uh, you know six nominations for some of his plays, um, he's uh, his his one Tony is kind of an honorary one where it's it's a Tony for helping other people, being a contributor to charitable causes and that kind of thing. Right. And uh, I asked him, well, you'll you'll hear about it, but uh, I said, is that the Tony you really wanted to win? And he had a he had a good a good response. Yeah. To that.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Well, I guess, uh, is there anything else we should know before we uh, let the folks hear your conversation? Uh, I, I don't know,
2: uh, except that, uh, you know, one of the interesting things about him is that it wasn't, it, it, he, he didn't just come down as a spectator to watch this show. He's, he's intimately involved in how it's being rewritten in each place that, that, it, that it comes out, um, because it's, that's the show that reinvents itself. Uh, uh, it, it, we, we talk about that uh, in the interview too. but So he was working hand-in-hand with the folks at the Alliance um, because he wants to make sure that it comes out right.
1: Awesome. Well, that's great. Well, um, thanks a lot, Bo, and uh, let's hear from Stephen Schwartz himself. Okie dokie.
2: Hey, I'm Bo Emerson with the Journal-Constitution, and uh, today we have a treat. We're going to talk to Stephen Schwartz who is an icon in theater. He wrote two blockbuster plays before he was barely out of college. Uh, His most uh, recent um, uh, earth-shaking creation is Wicked, which not only has become the second most money-making show of all time, but is now gonna be a movie filmed in Atlanta. He is here with us right now to talk about one of his shows from 1978, Working, uh, which, uh, has become a kind of a template for a show that reinvents itself uh, as the years go by. And I just want to say it's an honor to have you here, Stephen Schwartz. Thank you for joining
0: us. Thank you, Bo. I'm happy to be here this morning. So you saw the uh, premiere uh,
2: of Working in I did. I night. got to
0: see Working in the Tent. In the Tent. Right outside the Alliance Theater last night. There, it's a terrific cast. And um, it's very exciting in that it, the show has been tailored literally for Atlanta. It features some interviews in it with um, people that uh, they went out and talked to in Atlanta. There's a a new song um, especially written for Atlanta by local composers, uh, Brendan and uh, Christian Bush. Right. um, I'll get I want Gomez. to get it in the right order. is yeah. Carlos Andres Gomez. There you I go. want to make sure I had his <laughs> two names in the right order. It's a terrific song. I heard it last night.
2: For the first time. For the first time, yes. By the way, this show has also been tailored for the COVID environment, which yes. uh, we uh, are as well. We've both been vaccinated uh, more than a month ago and uh, we're six feet apart. We took our masks off so you could see Stephen's fantastic face. Thank and uh, we, uh, Well, this
0: uh, is the point of being vaccinated, uh, that yes, you can
2: do this, right? Exactly. Yeah. And we hope you get vaccinated too. Absolutely. But, uh, and the show has the actors separate from each other. It's yes. outdoors in a tent. Mm-hmm. Um, it follows incredibly strict guidelines to keep
0: them safe and to keep the audience safe. Yeah, the audience is sort of in pods. I think based on the groups that buy tickets, they're seated together and then there's space between them, so if you come by yourself, you've got one seat, and if you come with a family of four, you have four seats, but then there's space, so it, it feels really safe, even if you haven't been vaccinated, but everybody should get vaccinated.
2: Yeah, Thank you, <laughs> and how does it feel to see uh, your show back on a stage? How does it feel to see theater starting again?
0: I, I didn't even realize how much I had missed live theater, not just my shows, right. but any shows um, you know it's been a year. Yeah. And uh, while there's lots of great stuff on television and uh, cable etc and cool movies you know to watch there, there's just nothing that beats live theater. Just having the sound of the audience, the sound of the audience laughing and after a musical number that kind of roar of appreciation you know there's you just don't get that anywhere else.
2: Well I know the audience is missing it, and they're not only missing uh, seeing the show, but they're missing each other. They're missing being out there and doing things together, which is really the, the whole point of theater. But I think the thing that makes this show very interesting to me is the way that it has metamorphosized, uh, with sort of each new generation. I wanted to, to get you to talk about
0: that. Yeah. Well, we, we didn't really do that on purpose, (laughs) just, um, working was created in 1978, um, and it was adapted from a book by Studs Terkel, the very well-known Chicago um, radio personality and interviewer. And in the book, Studs went around and talked mostly with Chicago workers about their jobs. And so working in its adaptation was really a documentary. And, you know, we did the show and thought, okay, that's it. But then 10 years later, we realized, well, the workplace has changed, so we have to update this and update that and do a new interview here. And then pretty much every decade, <laughs> the show gets rewritten. Because
2: you, uh, old uh, lines of work uh, get... Uh, uh, yeah, there
0: are things that... There, disappear. That, yeah, that jobs that, that don't exist anymore or they exist but they've changed... Uh, remarkably in the way that, um, the, the, in the specifics. So it hurts uh,
2: my feelings because the newsboy
0: was one of the people I know, the newsboy, but there, I guess there really aren't newsboys anymore. Well, maybe there's there news... There are. I mean, I get a there's newspaper. There's news people, everywhere. I guess. Yeah, news people. <laughs> um, but uh, along the way, um, we have two wonderful new songs that were written relatively recently by Lynn manuel Miranda, right. the um, composer of Hamilton and In the Heights. Um, but now, just recently we came up up with this new idea which is to allow each community theater that's doing the show to substitute for the some of the interviews local interviews go out talk to people in the community and edit down the interviews and put them in Um, and so that keeps the show ever current and it's been very popular for obvious reasons, with high schools and colleges, because then it becomes a whole learning tool. But even a professional production like this one, um, you know, they went out and talked to people in Atlanta, and it's, it's really exciting. It makes it really of the moment.
2: Now, was that Tamala's idea, or was that your idea? Or how did that, uh, did, those, did, did that sort of? Well, it sort of happened simultaneously. Uh-huh.
0: Um, I had seen last year a production up in my hometown. We have a little professional theater in my hometown in Connecticut, in which the director did this. Obviously he had the idea, he came to me, and um, I helped shape the, the interviews with him. And then you know, I started to think, well, this is a good idea for everywhere. And then when um, I was called by the Alliance and our wonderful director, Tamela Woodard, and she had this idea sort of independently, you know, I was able to say, well, we're already working on that. So, you know, I'll learn a lot. And I did from seeing how she approached um, inserting local, uh, specific local interviews.
2: Now you didn't just turn her loose and say, you can rewrite this play any way you want.
0: I kind of did. Oh. I mean, there was a little bit of guidance in that I sent her um, the template that we were starting to develop for other theaters to do this, but I thought, you know, she's a very accomplished director and I just thought, well, let's see what she does and, and I'll learn something and I did. She put in a couple of uh, old songs that had been cut, returned and um, both of them worked very well and um, moved some things around. So uh, yeah, uh, I, learned, I learned a lot last night.
2: Now, uh, the, the live long day starts out with a typewriter. Is there a typewriter?
0: Uh, uh, no more typewriter, i <laughs> afraid. See, it's another there you go. archaic exactly you know, technology
2: right. that has gone away. Uh, let's hope that doesn't happen to any other elements of my uh, profession, but. Uh,
0: it will just, it will morph. It, it will, it will, it will morph. evolve, but it will always be here.
2: That's true. The, uh, has any play ever done
0: this before? No, not to my knowledge. That's really, that's what I think makes it so exciting. Of course, there is uh, um, devised theater. You know, uh, uh, an example of that is the Laramie Project, where actors right. go and they go into community and they talk to people and they make out of that a play, but then it's frozen forever. To my knowledge, this is the first time that um, a, a show, particularly a musical, uh, allows each uh, each community to, to make it bespoke for themselves. And it doesn't make you nervous to see your
2: baby being sort of tossed up in the air by other folks?
0: Um, a, a little bit, sure. I mean, listen, some of these productions are gonna work better than others. Right. And some um, companies and directors and actors are gonna make better choices than others. But working, because we were constantly updating it anyway, it just felt as if, and, and also what it's about you know, that it's about workers in a community that tend to f- be invisible to us, that we don't think about, and suddenly shining a light on them. And what a great time to uh, put that show on. I know, of course, it's so of the moment right So now. what do
2: you think about those workers now? Do you think about them even differently? I mean, you were seeing this back then.
0: Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, what I, what I think now is that I'm glad that there seems to be a more global awareness of these people who sustain our lives. You know, we, we just go blithely about our lives. Right. And we, we don't think about um, the people who are making it possible for us to live like, you know, the way we do. Um, but now I think, obviously, because of what happened during the pandemic, there's a greater awareness of that. I just hope that it, that it stays and doesn't fade as we you know, find our way out of the situation. And of
2: course, uh, people like Studs Terkel were always aware of that. And Definitely. were trying
0: to tell the rest of us. Uh, yeah, I mean, Studs was, you know, the, the leader in that. Studs more or less created what has come to be known as oral history. Right. Um, and he not didn't just talk about working, but he talked to people about World War II. He had a book called Division Street, which was about a long street in Chicago. Right. Um, and the different people who lived there and how it evolved over the years. Um, so yeah, he was very much in the vanguard of this technique.
2: Well, so uh, it's, it's, it's an old show that has become enormously relevant. Um, the, uh, you've got now, uh, the, the, the enormous success, Wicked, uh, that's going to now be a movie, and yeah. it's going to be filmed in
0: Atlanta. I am happy to say this is now, it's now been um, revealed. revealed. And that you had a
2: conversation uh, uh, with Stacey Abrams about this. Would you like to talk
0: uh, I would very much like that. to talk about this. Yes. Well, as you know, the whole film industry in Atlanta has exploded. And, um, you know, this has become a real, it's like Hollywood East in a way. And- It's uh, called Yollywood. Oh, I like that. I hadn't heard that before. (laughs) Yeah, I'm gonna use that from now on. And uh, so we were very excited that the Wicked movie is currently planned to start production here in Atlanta um, later this year and then film all through next year. So quite a long time. And we were, you know, excited to be coming to Atlanta and then the Georgia legislature passed this, um, what I would call a, a bill that infringes on voting rights. And I wanna say that to me and for those of us at Wicked, this is not a partisan issue. Wicked has fans who are Republicans, we have fans who are Democrats, we have fans who are independents, but I believe that all our Wicked fans believe in democracy. And they believe that people who are old enough to vote and want to should have the right to do so without having that right impinged upon or suppressed and I feel whether it was um, deliberate or inadvertent to give people the benefit of the doubt the new bill impinges on the rights of people to vote makes it more difficult and particularly targets uh, certain groups maybe that was on purpose maybe not but that's the effect of it And as you know, many people or uh, organizations had decided to boycott uh, Georgia because of it. And there are films that were due to um, be filming in Atlanta that have withdrawn. And we were considering doing that. Um, And then had a conversation with Stacey Abrams. Mm -hmm. Um, who was responsible in a lot of ways she and her um, colleagues for actually getting the film industry into Atlanta she strongly urged us not to boycott and she pointed out that um, a boycott and withdrawing the film from Atlanta would hurt the very people that we're trying to help in terms of workers, in terms of small businesses. And what she has asked us to do instead is to, as she says, stay and fight. So we're gonna stay in Atlanta, but we're going to make meaningful contributions to organizations who are supporting, for instance, um, voters who now need IDs. And it might be difficult for them to get those IDs But there are organizations that are going to finance helping that there's also federal legislation um, before uh, Congress. Right now, Um, there are two bills to protect the right to vote. We're going to um, give support to those bills so um, we can come to Atlanta, which we wanted to do and still feel good about ourselves for doing so. Well, we appreciate
2: you doing that, and uh, it's gonna be very interesting to see Wicked uh, uh, turn into a movie. I
0: know, I'm so excited about it.
2: And Wicked has uh, really got your uh, lifelong theme song in it, which came to you uh, later in your career, uh, Defying Gravity. How do you, uh, how do you uh, describe that, what that song means to you?
0: Um, it, you know, it was just uh, a feeling that I had inside of me from the moment I heard about Wicked and decided this was uh, an idea, a novel by Gregory Maguire that I wanted to be part of turning into a musical. And almost on the first day, um, I, when I was going to the piano and just noodling around trying to find a sound, um, I, the, the the sound of those first chords of Defying Gravity just came to me about like, this is the witch's power and this is when she flies and this is what it sounds like. So there was something in me that I think just, you know, reverberated for that. That sounds like that came before the words came. Way before, Uh way before. And then I didn't touch it, you know, because we spent um, a year just working out the story and outlining the the show and, and how we were gonna tell the story before Winnie Holzman, my collaborator who wrote the book, you know, started uh, started writing the script and before I started writing the score. But then I went back and found this stuff that I did at the very beginning and it turned into Defying Gravity. Now, did
2: you know uh, uh, Galindas and El Fabas when you were uh, in, in high school? Oh, of and... <laughs> course, don't
0: we all? Don't we all? I mean, the song Popular yeah. um, was just sort of based on um, some of the well, I'll call them girls because they were then girls that I knew in uh-huh. in high school and a sort particular of Girl there meme. Was, well, there was a cheerleader I kind of had a crush on and uh-huh. everybody in high school had a crush on this girl and I kind of wrote wrote the song about her Alphabet um, for whatever reason I just had inside me um, You know, I'd like to write I've been told that I write um, shows and stories a lot of times about um, outcasts, for want of a better word, about people who find themselves outside of the mainstream of society and are longing to be part of it, but then have to wrestle with, well, what's the cost to myself Mm -hmm. at? What am I giving up in order to have this? That's very central to Wicked, obviously, but it's also part of Pippin, it's also part of Godspell, right. it's also part of Hunchback of Notre Dame. I think, you know, writers have certain themes that we dwell upon. So anyway, Alphaba, I thought, you know, from the minute I heard there's this book called Wicked and it's the Oz story from the Wicked Witch's point of view, I just felt, oh, oh, I know how to do that. The, the uh, your choices in, in the plays that you write
2: are are, unusual and they and there's a theme of sort of the old testament that runs through some of those choices there's a lot of biblical stuff in your yeah. work um how, how did that happen to happen
0: uh some of it was just um coincidence to be honest you know godspell um well that's new testament of course right godspell was offered to me prince of egypt which is old testament was um you know offered to me by the film company who was dreamworks who was making the film and you know, then subsequently when it was turned into a uh, live theater, which is coming back to London very soon, thank goodness. Um, but then others like Children of Eden, which is an Old Testament story, um, you know, I sort of wanted to do. I think I just, I like dealing with these themes. You know, the Bible asks big questions. Which are it, big themes. It tells big stories. It, um, it asks big questions there. Um, ethical and moral and personal dilemmas that Thinking people wrestle with every day and so to me it makes for a good theater and it Challenges me to look at my own views
2: and so you you end up writing a a, a Song like day by day, which of course the 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 gospel has the lyrics in it already exactly but uh the uh, that now is sung in so many fellowship uh rooms and at youth services in uh, Christian churches. I know, I love that. All over the place. And so that's that's an interesting outcome for a Jewish kid from uh, New York.
0: Exactly right. A Ju- Jewish boy from Long Island. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, um, songs from some from Godspell in many cases have now become part of masses and services. and Although at the time,
2: not? people were uh, sort of Uh, some people reacted poorly to Godspell. They thought you were making Jesus into a hippie.
0: Well, that actually happened a little bit later. When Uh Godspell first came out in the 70s, it was pretty widely embraced by religious groups It got performed before the Pope, et cetera. And we used to have, you know, priests and nuns and pastors, et cetera, would come. Um, But then uh, later on, a few years later, as I think a more maybe... uh, fundamentalist strain of um, religion maybe g- developed, then yes, there, there was resistance and the thought of like, oh well, they're, somehow they're, they're not showing respect right. to Jesus, where in fact, the show is a celebration uh, of his teachings. You know, it's, it's not a really, a, it's not the passion play, it's not a story. Because there's
2: no resurrection.
0: Um, yes, unless you count the curtain call. Right, okay. Right. But uh, no, it's, it's really about what he taught and how we as a society um, can become a community built around that. I mean, it's very simple. He said, always treat others as you would have them treat you. And if we all just did that and nothing else, everybody involved in any religion, people who have no religious convictions whatsoever, everybody, if we all just treated other people the way we would like to be treated, we'd live in a much better world. Well, the, uh, some of that same uh, criticism came
2: down when you, when you collaborated with Leonard Bernstein on mass, right. uh, which was a, 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 a very big event that it was written for, the opening of the Kennedy Center. And uh, there was a lot of uh, a lot of attention to it, and you re, uh, rethought a lot of what uh, what goes into the Catholic Mass, and what was the reaction at the time?
0: Yeah, that there was uh, a, a, some more uh, a stronger reaction to mm-hmm. in some circles. But um, Lenny's concept was that he wanted to both set the Catholic Mass and have individuals reacting to it what does it mean to somebody to hear about confessing you know what does it mean to someone who doesn't see much to glorify to be to be hearing a gloria so there were these individual characters who would respond to it not always positively right and i think yeah that that there was some backlash to that and hurling the chalice to the ground was
2: perhaps the thing that oh yeah
0: yeah that was my fault i came up with that you idea. did all right yeah. and so
2: uh do you think that was a good idea or a bad idea
0: well the the leading character in mass um who's the celebrant um the story is uh, of of the show i mean the structure of the show is that he starts out very, um, innocent and full of hope and full of belief. And then over the course of the evening, he sort of becomes encrusted with the trappings and the, uh, official duties and also all the, um, resistance and outcries and problems he's hearing from people it's around It's a little bit him.
2: like what happens to Pippin.
0: Yes, exactly. And so he has a breakdown in, in Mass. He has this, Um, long aria in which he has a breakdown and sort of just rejects everything and smashes things and throws them to the floor and, yeah, kind of has a nervous breakdown on stage. And then uh, the show sort of puts the pieces back together. Exactly. I mean, in a way, it it has um, similarities of theme. If you think about Godspell, which also was written the same year, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the end, because Jesus is crucified, He's gone. And then it's up to those who are left to carry on what he taught. And similarly, in this story, in in Mass, the celebrant takes himself out of the picture because he has a breakdown. And then it's up to the congregation who have been sniping and quarreling through the whole evening to come together and um, sort of revivify him.
2: Now you've written opera. You've uh, had your uh, shows performed before the Pope. Um, <laughs> I don't think you have an Emmy yet.
0: Is that right? I don't have an Emmy. So you've got the. I have uh, to do some television, I guess. You,
2: you should, but uh, you spent a lot of time in the movies uh, uh, during the uh, during the '80s and '90s writing. Right, um, '90s, yeah. Writing uh, songs for uh, Prince of Egypt and Pocahontas, Hunchback Hunch of Notre Dame, and, and Enchanted. Yeah. And uh, I
0: should say that the ones that I did with Disney were written in collaboration with my good friend and writing partner, Alan Menken. Which is uh, yeah. unusual for you. You're a, you're a words and music guy. Um, yeah, when I work in theater, almost always I do both words and music, but of course, Alan was already right. um, very well established in Disney animation um, because tragically his brilliant writing partner, Howard Ashman, had died. Um, Disney and Alan were looking for a new collaborator for him. And uh, so I got the opportunity to do so. And, um, but Alan and I w- already knew each other. We were already friends. We played tennis together, etc. So it just was you know, a happy coincidence and accident that we were able to work together as well.
2: And was it easy to uh, uh, be a collaborator rather than a uh, rather than the person who comes up with both elements. Yeah,
0: very much so. Um, I I just like collaboration. Some people, you know, find it threatening or difficult and they want everything, you know, that when they know how they want to do something, they want it to be just that way. But I always like to have, you know, hear like, oh, that's actually a better idea. I'm going to do that instead. So, um, and that's what you do in musical theater. So I was already accustomed to collaborating and uh, and frankly I've gotten better at it over the years well and it's kind of what's happening with uh, with working right now exactly yeah
2: and the, the fact that you're down here you've uh, you've been collaborating with uh, uh, with Tamala and, and all the other folks uh, involved in the in the show by uh, by long distance talking right. to them they've been talking to you um, you've uh, spent a lot of time putting on workshops for uh, folks uh, in theater all, uh, all around the the country, uh, the, uh, you were head of the dramatist Guild. Yeah, I was president of the dramatist Guild for a while for and a I, while. I'm still on the dramatist Guild Council. And you're yeah. on the council. The, uh, uh, when, when you were uh, a youngster and people sought you out to write songs for shows, uh, it's, uh, it's almost like you're, you seem to be kind of trying to pay that back.
0: Absolutely, now. absolutely. You know, I've been really lucky Um, Let's just face it, you know um, Being successful in show business requires a great deal of good fortune Um, Being in the right place at the right time Happening to work on something that is successful. Maybe not entirely because of one's own efforts Um, And I just know a lot of people who are immensely talented who haven't had the breaks that that I did so I try always to um, keep that in mind and Give back where I can and help particularly young writers, you know trying to get started um, If I can be helpful in helping them, you know either both um, Develop their craft and also get some opportunities. I try to do that
2: and now you you have a uh, as a result of all that effort you have a, a, a Tony for that the Isabel Stevenson award for humanitarian yeah. and uh, mentorship contributions uh, it's uh is that the Tony that you wanted, or is there still one that you're waiting to uh
0: well, I wouldn't <laughs> mind getting you know a, a a tony for for an actual thing that I wrote and how has that not <laughs> happened yet? Um, you know it just it, it a lot of it just depends on the year I mean, uh-huh. I understand you know if if uh, in the year of Pippin you also have a little night music, I could understand how. The, that other Stephen got in, the that way. Is that what got in my way. I know we get in each other's <laughs> way every now and then. Uh, but uh, obviously I'm an enormous, everyone's an enormous admirer of him and he's uh, Steve Sondheim's and he's been very uh, influential on me. And um, yeah, I mean, we don't see each other uh, that often anymore. But there was a time when we were pretty good friends. So uh, you were lucky, but also luck
2: uh, t- tends to fall on people that work constantly. And it seems like you never stop writing songs.
0: That is true. Yeah. Well, it is. What do they say? It's um, opportunity meets preparation. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I uh, it's what I always wanted to do. And I like to tell stories. And I'm lucky in that people come to me with stories um, to see if I'm interested in telling them and i get the opportunity and they give me the opportunity to do it so as long as that continues i expect to keep writing so have you written any songs today um nothing this morning well actually i'm lying to you because um we're doing a sequel to enchanted Uh um, which is starting to film right now Uh and i have some revisions to do on the lyrics and i was working on one of the songs this morning so uh, yes
2: you don't want to sing us a little bit of it, do you?
0: Um, I think I'm not allowed. To. <laughs> Disney's very strict about that.
2: Well, it's uh, it's a delight to get a chance to talk to you, uh, oh, and thank I you. very much appreciate you taking time with us. And uh, uh, the the show is is a is a great moment for that show to be on this stage, and it's great to have theater on any stage.
0: right I agree. Now. It was really exciting to see live theater last night, and to see something, you know, just the the audience and the cast interact and hear the sound of the audience again and know that this, you know, working has been particularly devised for Atlanta at this time. That was that was a good feeling.
2: Is it all gonna come back? Is uh, everybody gonna come back to the theater?
0: I actually think so. All I right. mean, maybe I'm over optimistic, but I think at least some people have to be feeling the same, you know, hunger I am to, again not just see something but have my fellow human beings participating in that experience with me Um, you know that's as old as humanity and so I have to feel that that will come back you know when we feel we're vaccinated yes and the theaters are disinfected and sure I think well we
2: appreciate you making a place for us to put on and look at thank uh, you uh, thanks for taking time with us appreciate it
1: Rodney Ho keeps you up to date on all the movies and TV shows that are shooting around Atlanta and in the rest of the state. He recently brought us news of a remake of the film Father of the Bride, which will soon be shooting in Metro Atlanta and star Andy Garcia in the title role. The Warner Brothers movie is scheduled to begin production in June and wrap in August. Find out more about this upcoming production and read about who is taking the role of the Mother of the Bride on the Radio and TV Talk blog at AJC.com. Rodney Ho also brings us business news from the world of television. Atlanta-based Gray Television has agreed to purchase Meredith's 17 television stations, including Atlanta's CBS 46 and Peachtree TV, for an estimated $2.7 billion, including debt. The acquisition would make Gray one of the largest TV station owners in the country, with 101 stations in 113 markets, reaching about 36% of U.S. households. The deal, announced this past Monday, still requires regulatory approval, but it marks the first time Gray has owned stations in its own hometown. You'll find all the details in the Radio and TV Talk blog. Melissa Ruggieri brings us the latest in tour news, with shows both newly scheduled and rescheduled. The Doobie Brothers 50th Anniversary Tour has changed dates for the second time, moving a show originally scheduled for June 2020 to June of 2022. In between, it was supposed to come to Alpharetta's Ameris Bank Amphitheater. And the Flaming Lips have announced a tour set to begin in August this year before winding its way to Atlanta in spring of 2022. Get the full story of these and other tours on the Atlanta Music Scene blog at AJC.com. The AJC's dining team continues to explore some of the best in takeout with the Atlanta Orders In feature, which you'll find in print in the living section many weekdays. One of the places they recently visited is Tuscany at your table. The prepared items in the deli case are a testament to the labor that Luigi D'Arienzo puts into delicious, yet affordable tastes of Italy. Some, like gnocchi alla sorrentina, plumped potato gnocchi baked in tomato sauce with mozzarella cheese and fresh basil, are a nod to the Campania region surrounding his native Naples. Others are expressions more typical of Tuscany, where he moved while in his mid-twenties to put his culinary degree to work within that region's agriturismo industry. Read more about Tuscany at your table and catch up on all the places the team has visited on the Atlanta Restaurant Scene blog at AJC.com. To get the AJC delivered or to subscribe to the e-paper, go to AJC.com slash subscribe. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. Our senior editor is Nicole Smith. The podcast is edited by Tyson Horn. The theme music is by Bo Emerson and Billy Guinn, and I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta.